Uh, well, hello. My name is Johnny, uh, Pastor Johnny, that is. Um, and uh, I'm the pa- one of the pastors here at First Methodist. And uh, I, more specifically, am the past, uh, pastor for student ministries. Uh, it is an awesome, awesome night to be in worship. And I- I'm so glad to be here. I'm glad you are here. Um, Amanda's right, you know, seeing, seeing a room full of students uh, taking time out on their Wednesday uh, to be here to, uh, to worship God is a big deal. Um, that is a big deal. Um, very, very big deal. Um, and, and I'm so appreciative of all of our uh, adult volunteers that are here, um, also that take their time out to come here because they care about you so much, and that we live and worship um, and, and grow together as Christians. It's just such a cool thing to be a part of and to see. Um, I will issue this challenge, though. Because as I'm looking around, I'm seeing some empty seats. And, and what, what that says to me is there are plenty of uh, opportunities uh, for people to be in worship that don't know Christ yet. And you may know some of those people. Um, and so to me, an empty seat is very important because that's a, that's a spot for somebody to sit, right? That's a place for somebody to sit and come experience worship, uh, meet a new friend. Um, and, and to hear the word of God. So I, I challenge you over the next few weeks, over the semester, uh, be thinking about praying about somebody that's in your life that you know uh, could really use that seat and, and invite them to come to church. Um, I, you know, that's, that's how I started going to youth group. That's uh, some of my friends some, uh, that have grown up to be really great Christian women, men and women. That's how they started coming to church was uh, just simply being invited. Um, and that's all it takes sometimes. So I uh, encourage you to do that as you look around and see some of these empty seats. Um, also, for those of you that are here for the very first time, Amanda welcomed you. I just want to tell you, I think it's a, such a brave thing, especially at your age, to come here for the very first time. Um, trying new things can, can be a little scary sometimes, but I'm glad you did. Uh, we got a really fun night uh, still to go, and uh, I, I'm glad you're here to be a part of it. Um, <clears throat> lastly, I say this every week, but I want to be sure that, I, that I'm heard. Um, uh, this, this, this night, Wednesday night, when we come up here, and, and any church service for that matter, but especially Wednesday nights, um, is, is really built for anybody, right? Whether you would consider yourself a deeply committed Christian, you've grown up in the church, been a Christian all your life, you know the Bible frontwards and backwards, um, or you're somebody who's just kind of checking this God thing out, maybe you got invited here by a friend, you're one of those people that's filling one of those seats, I love that, um, but you're really not sure about this whole God thing, this night's for you too. Right? This, is, this, is a, this is a safe place to explore our thoughts, our questions um, about God. That's what we want to do. We want to explore those things so that we can grow uh, together. So I'm very glad you're here, and I hope something speaks to your heart tonight. Whether it was one of the songs uh, that we sang, whether it's you know, something that I've written down that we'll say, or something that comes up in your, in your breakout group in a little bit. I really hope uh, something speaks to you. Over the next couple of days, we're going to be taking a look at some of the heroes of the Bible. Now, there's a lot in there. There's a lot of heroes, uh, but we're going to take out, uh, a look at some very specific heroes. Some of these you may have never heard of, uh, which is really cool to me to discover that new stuff. And, like, that's in the Bible? That's really cool. Um, and the other cool thing is that every single one of these heroes that we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks, they're all women, right? Girl, oh, girls are silent. Okay, never mind. We'll talk about guys then. <laughs> We, we, often, we often think, when we think of the Bible, we, th- we think of, you know, obviously we think of Jesus, we think of Moses, we think of King David, we, we think of Peter, we think of all these guys, right? Where are all the women in the Bible making noise, right? That's, that's what we need. Well, they're in there. They are. 
But and we want to talk about them because they do some really cool and awesome things. And guys, this is not permission for you to shut down because you can learn something from these women, right? You really can. Uh, we're going to be learning. We're going to be learning from them for the next couple weeks. So you got your little handouts there. There's going to be some fill in the blank time on the back side. There's some notes for you to take because you're going to want to take notes. This is some really good stuff. All right, let's dive right in. Question: Have you ever taken a risk before in your life? And taking a risk is not playing the game risk, if you've ever heard of that. That's the most boring game on earth. But, hey, 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 I'm a pastor, right? So I know these things. Um, <laughs> but take, taking a risk, right? I, I, I'm talking about a big risk, something that takes bravery, something that takes courage to do. Truth is, we take, we, we take risks all the time. Skydiving, right? That's risky. Skydiving is a risky thing. I'm going to jump out of a plane, right? I, I don't care if I have a parachute or another little tiny plane coming out of that plane. Getting out of a plane up in the air is risky business, right? No, thank you. Uh, I, I don't have it on me, uh, but I carry my iPhone around with no case. <gasps> ah, that's risky, right? right? Look, right there. No case on you. Anybody with no case on your iPhone? Your parents are about to get real mad at you. <laughs> But I don't, have a, I don't have a case on my iPhone. That's risky. I make people really nervous at school. When I'm at school, I'm on campus, I'm in class, and people see my phone, they're like, how are you walking around with full confidence with that phone? You know, they think I'm going to drop it, and it's just going to bust and look like that. Uh, getting tattoos can be risky. Getting tattoos can be risky. You don't want to have any regrets. <laughs> tattoos can be risky. <laughs> any of you in here drivers you drive a car not very many adults raising their hands they're like no nah, i don't drive so how many and be honest i know some of your parents are in the room here but be honest be honest with yourself how many how many of you when that gas light comes on you're like eh, i can keep going <laughs> you you know you know exactly how many trips to school and to Taco Bell and back home you can make before that gas actually runs out. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, asking somebody to like prom or homecoming or something like that, that's pretty risky. They could say no, that's scary. But what if they say yes, then you got to get one of those gigantoid mom things that you got to wear around your neck. Also risky. Very risky. Even your clothing choices. Who in here is wearing flip-flops? You're wearing flip-flops. Anybody else in here wearing flip-flops? Chacos don't count. Jandals count. Jandals will count. Jandals will count. Wearing flip-flops. There's this comedian. Uh, his name is Dimitri Martin. And he would say, when you wear flip-flops, you're making a risky choice. You're making a risky choice because what happens if you get chased? When you put your flip-flops on in the morning and you go, you're like, man, I hope I don't get chased today. <laughs> you're betting on not getting chased. Really funny comedian. I, I love that. That's one of my favorite lines. We all, we all take risks. Whether you don't, whether you, whether you don't have a, a case on your iPhone, whether you got no regrets on your tattoos, whether you, whether you uh, chant it with your gas light or you're wearing your flip-flops for the day, we all take risks. But uh, when was the last time you took a significant risk. The last time you took a significant risk. I'm talking about the kind of risk that requires you to really stand up for what you believe in. To make a difference 
even at great risk of your reputation, of your time, of your agenda. When was the last time we took really big risks? Tonight we're going to be looking at a story from the Old Testament. Old Testament. Um, so if, you, if you've seen a Bible before, it's, it's, a bit, it's a big book. It's actually a collection of books. And there's a collection of books at the front called the Old Testament. Um, Jesus doesn't appear until the New Testament, but we, re- we read the Old Testament because it has great context for the, the world that Jesus walks into, right? Um, and so we're going to look at the Old Testament, and we're going to look at a woman named Rahab. Rahab. I know some of you have heard of her. Some of you haven't. Rahab. Now, Rahab's story is found in the book of Joshua, right? So if you start at the very beginning of the Bible, you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Yeah, you were there. I could hear you all. Some of y'all know this. Joshua. There's not going to be a quiz on that later, but just kind of giving you an idea. It's, very, it's near the very beginning of the Bible. So you have Joshua, and Rahab's story begins in chapter 2. The majority of what you know or what you will know about Rahab happens in chapter 2. But she does reappear later in chapter 6, um, uh, very briefly. And she even is mentioned in the New Testament, which is significant, because not many people from the Old Testament are mentioned in the New Testament, especially not many women. Very few. And so... Rahab is mentioned again in the New Testament. We'll get to that in just a minute. But that's really important to know because that means she's a really big deal. She's a really big deal and lots of people haven't heard of her. So we're going to talk about her tonight. Now, I'm not going to read you the whole chapter 2. right? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to kind of paraphrase it for you, tell you a little bit of the story. But I do encourage you to go back and read that chapter in your Bible later. Alright, so I'm going to start with a little background to the story. Those first five books that I mentioned... Um, that, like, kinda, I'm going to sum all that up real quick to get you to where we are in Joshua chapter 1, right? So you've heard of a guy named Moses. Moses rescued with God's help, right? Really, it was God with a little help from Moses. Um, they, they, they had the Exodus story, right? So you have these Israelites that are enslaved in Egypt. And Moses comes and does the Moses thing, right? And takes the people out of Egypt, rescues them, redeems them from slavery. He gets to the Red Sea. He does the Red Sea thing where he puts a stick up in the air and the waves, part, you know, the, the, the sea parts and they walk across it, right, on dry land and then it comes back together. Big deal, right? God empowers Moses to lead the people out of Egypt as a mighty act of redemption. And the problem was, is once they got out of Egypt, once they got out of this horrendous, terrible, awful situation, and they're on the other side of the Red Sea, and they're thinking, we did it, guys. We made it. We're out of Egypt. And all of a sudden, the Israelites, compl- the Israelites are complaining, we're hungry. Why do we got to walk so much? Why didn't we just stay in Egypt? And like, I mean, they're just whining. God did this amazing, incredible thing. I mean, the Red Sea parted in half, and they walked across it. Now they're complaining because it's hot. And, you know, they, they get real complaining. They're not even, there's no gratitude whatsoever for ever leaving Egypt. They, and they, 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 many of them want to even go back. It's insanity. And God's up there going, these people are crazy. I brought them out of Egypt because I wanted to take them to this place that I'm calling the promised land because it's awesome and it's amazing and it's going to be all theirs. And I want them to go there. And they're complaining they want to go back? These people don't even deserve to be there, right? And so, so what ends up happening is, is this group of Israelites that got rescued, they, they have to wander around in the desert until that whole generation dies off, right? God's like, you don't even want the promised land? Fine. 
You want to go back to Egypt? Fine. I'm not going to make you go back there. But you get to wander around in this wilderness for a while until all your kids and grandkids are grown up and you're not here anymore, and then we're going to let them go in to this place, right? So this is what's going to happen. And Moses is kind of the last of those people, right? And so they, they get right up to the edge, right up to the border of where they're going to be. And, and Moses is finally about to die, and this is like the end of it all, and the, they're about to make their way into this promised land. And Moses turns to this guy named Joshua and says, okay, you're in charge now. You need to lead these people over there, right? <clears throat> because of their lack of gratitude, they were not allowed to enter the promised land for a long time. But then when they all died off, uh, Moses appointed Joshua, told him he's in charge, and they get to lead the people into the promised land. Now, at this point of the story, it's where we enter the book of Joshua. Only makes sense, right? So Joshua, before he goes in there, there's these fortresses, and there's these people that live there, and they're giants, and everybody's scared of them. And so the first thing Joshua knows, like, before we can go in there, we need to send some spies. We need to send some spies into this first town, and, and they need to scope it out for us and come back and tell us so that when we go in there and invade this place, we can win, right? We need to have all the advantage that we can. So, um, as these spies enter Jericho, they come across a woman named Rahab. Now, Rahab is a, is a citizen of that town, right? She's, she's from there. And Rahab is also a prostitute. <laughs> right? <laughs> huh? Wait. <laughs> She's a prostitute. Don't Google it. She's a prostitute, right? So, so these spies come across Rahab, and, and they tell her, well, she, she knows them as not being from there, and she, and she has heard, she's kind of heard about this, this God of the Israelites, right? So um, this would think Rahab being a prostitute, right, might disqualify her from playing any sort of big role in God's plan. Disqualify her from being a biblical hero. But you'd be wrong. In spite of what most would cons- consider, you know, her profession to be a little less than respectable, Rahab is not disqualified from being part of God's purpose and God's plan. So bef- before we go any further, that takes us to lesson one of tonight. And this is probably your first blank on the page. God uses all kinds of people to complete his purposes. God uses all kinds of people to complete his purposes. Truth of the matter is, is nobody's perfect. So if God only used perfect people, n- nobody would get used except for Jesus, right? And he was God. We already, we, already t- <laughs> we already talked about that. God uses all kinds of people to complete his purposes. Rahab, Rahab had heard of this God that the Israelites worshipped, and all the great things that God had done, like parting the Red Sea and leading these people out of, out of Egypt, like this was crazy, and Rahab had heard about all these things. And so she had decided to help them. She wanted to be on their God's side, right? She, that's what she wanted to do. So she decides to help them. So Rahab takes them in and hides them amongst some grain on the roof because she knows that the king has heard that there's some spies maybe milling around. Well, the king of Jericho heard about this, uh, shows up at Rahab's house and begins to question her about this. Now, at this point, Rahab has a decision to make, right? She can play it safe and go ahead and tell the king, yeah, there's two spies here. Let me show you where I hit them. I, I knew you'd be coming, so I hit him up there, told him they'd be safe, and you can just go get them and kill them now, right? Cool. And, and maybe I can get a promotion or some, some prize money or something, right? Um, 
Or, or she can take this giant risk on this new faith that she has in, in this God. She can take a giant risk and say, never heard of him, never seen him. Because if the king were to find out that she actually did know who they were, had seen them, and is in fact hiding them, she'd be in trouble. And by in trouble, I mean dead. So she takes this giant risk when she decides to keep the spies hidden and not give them up to the king. Rahab chooses to risk everything to be a part of God's plan. Rahab chose to risk everything to be a part of God's plan. So after the king leaves, Rahab goes to the Israelites and says, this is actually quoted out of that chapter, chapter 2. She's talking to them and she's like, everybody, everybody here is trembling with fear. Like they, they know about your God. They've heard about it and their hearts, their wills are weakened. They're weakened. Now then, since I have dealt with you kindly, swear to me by the Lord that you in turn will deal kindly with me and my family. Give me a sign of good faith that you will spare my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. The men said to her, Our life for your life. If you do not tell this business of ours, then we will deal kindly and faithfully with you when the Lord gives us this land. To these Israelite spies, Rahab professes her faith in God and sends the the spies safely back to Joshua. Then as the story unfolds throughout the next few chapters in Joshua, the Israelites win the battle and Rahab and her family are spared and they live happily ever after. Yada, yada, yada. Now, why is this story so important? Why is this such a big deal? Well, you kind of get a grasp of this. Rahab's a risk taker. And she's not just a silly risk taker. She's not just deciding to go bungee jumping or, or, or diving, um, skydiving out of a plane, even though some people do those things and have a great time. But uh, it's not those kinds of risks. It's not the, the stupid risks like, uh, I'm just going to decide to not wear a seatbelt when I drive, right? That's a stupid risk. It's also illegal, but that's stupid, right? Or people that you know, decide not to wear a helmet when they're riding a motorcycle, right? just doesn't make sense. You want to protect the brain, right? Uh, not those kind of faith, but she took a faith risk. I mean, that's really what faith is in any ways, but she took a faith risk. She could have done the safe thing and handed over the spies to the king and kept living her life like nothing had ever changed, but instead she heard about this God and decided to risk it all to be a part of his plan. And not only did she save herself and her family, but she entered into a story that became much bigger than her. Let me say that again. It didn't just affect her immediate family there. She said, please, just save my family. That's all she had in mind. If I'm faithful in this and if I do this, will you please spare my family? And of course they did and they were safe. But that act of faith was much bigger than that. She entered into this story that was so much bigger than her because later on Rahab gets married and she has a son named Boaz. Boaz uh, marries um, a woman that we're going to talk about in a couple weeks named Ruth. And they have a kid, and that kid has a kid. Boaz turns out to be King David's great-grandfather. King David's a big deal in the Old Testament. He's a big deal in the Bible. That's Rahab's lineage. It's King David. 
And as you look at the New Testament, especially in the book of Matthew, you find where does that bloodline lead? It leads right up to Jesus. So here you have way back at the beginning over here, you have Rahab, this Canaanite woman who, who does this crazy act of faith, risks it all to become part of God's plan. And eventually you find because of that act, generations later, we have the most important man that ever walked the earth. Part of that line, part of that decision that she made. Rahab's risk, her single act of faithfulness to God, changed the course of history. So I wonder, what risks are you taking because of your faithfulness to God? If you're here and you call yourself a Christian, you, say, you would say, I've put my faith in God. What risks are you taking because of your faithfulness to God? That brings us to lesson two. A single act of faithfulness can change the course of of your life. A single act of faithfulness can change the course of your life. What risks are you taking? I, can, I know it can be scary. Taking risks for the sake of God can be scary. Sharing your faith with somebody can be scary. Inviting them to church can be scary. Going on a mission trip, even showing up to church yourself at times can be scary. Even little and simple acts of faith can, can be scary and take some risks. But we can find hope in stories like Rahab's. And those stories are all over the Bible. But we can find hope there in a story like Rahab's. You can also find in the Proverbs, one of, one of my favorite things to turn to when I feel kind of uneasy or um, there's a risk coming up and I'm asking God, like, man, is this really what I'm called to do here? Proverbs 3, chapter 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. goes on in verse 6, In all of your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. Don't let that fear get the best of you. Trust God, trust His purposes, trust His plan, and risk. Take risk. Act out in your faithfulness, because this world is full of people that are too scared to do anything. This world is full of people that live in fear. This world is full of people that are, that are satisfied with just letting life happen. But I think we need more risk takers. We need more people that are willing to step up and be risk takers. The question is, will you be one of them? Let's pray. Gracious God, what a good night. We're so thankful to be here. Thank you, thankful for your presence here. And we just pray, God, that um, as we feel your presence in this place, God, as we learn more about you, that we, we can leave this place feeling bold and, and courageous, God, and, and ready to risk on behalf of you and your name. We thank, for, we thank you for that, God. We put our trust in you. God, so be there with us, we pray. Amen.